Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown, also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm Hugh McTeer, I'm your host, and I'm going to be joined by excellent contributors during this episode as we discuss match day 30 of the 2019-20 La Liga season. We've had a change at the very top of the table, with Real Madrid overtaking Barcelona, and we'll get to that, don't worry, we will. But to start off, let's discuss Real Betis and their decision to sack Ruby, their coach, just three matches after the restart of the competition. With Real Betis losing 2-0 at Sevilla, drawing 2-2 at home to Granada and losing 1-0 away at Athletic Club this weekend, the board decided to act. And they've made Alexis Trujillo the coach until the end of the season. Alexis had been working as a director until this point and was also a Betis player back in the 90s. To discuss the drama that Real Betis have provided for us all, let's bring in Real Betis fan and La Liga Lowdown squad member Andrew Miller. And Andrew, the first question is is natural. Was it right to sack Ruby? It's a tough one, you know, of course. You never want to see anyone lose their job, but it almost felt like the Real Betis board had no other choice at this point. They they had a legitimate aspirations of playing European football next season and to find themselves in 14th position with eight games to go, having already spent, you know, 50 or 60 million euros investing in the playing squad this season. It almost felt like an inevitability. They brought in key players like Borja Iglesias and Nebel Fakir. They filled the gap at left-back with Alex Moreno and Pedraza. They brought in Carlos Alenia on loan from Barcelona. But they just never were able to nail down any sort of consistency during the season. The team really struggled to have any sort of clear identity, you know, defensively or going forward. A lot of the members of the squad were being played out of position. You know, Sergio Canales and Nabil Fakir were being played out of position. Two of their key players, two of their key creative attacking players. There was often too much rotation week in, week out, or, you know, alternative, not enough rotation in certain areas, particularly after poor performances from the defence. It almost felt like, you know, they were delaying the inevitable by keeping him so long. It felt at times like he was almost fighting a losing battle. They had some really good results against the bigger teams like Real Madrid or Valencia, but you know then they would go on to draw points against Eibar or Mallorca or Espanyol, and ultimately it felt like that inconsistency just really tripped them up, and they never quite recovered from some of the earlier losses. You know they they lost a huge home game to Valladolid, the first game of the season, so I think it got them off to you know a, a poor start. It, it got them off to the wrong footing with the fans, and it almost felt like the board had sort of given up, you know, almost from the start. It really hasn't gone well and people will point to the talent in the squad, but then again, some individual players haven't been that great this season either. I mean, one of the non-Ruby reasons for Betis' poor form has been the fact that Mark Bartra's form has dropped off a cliff. What's going on there? Yeah, of course, absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons Real Betis brought Bartra into the team in the first place was because of his experience. 
but he's really just like a shell of himself this season. They try to play it from the back a lot and he makes a lot of sloppy mistakes and sloppy passes. He's been caught out of position far too many times. There's a lot of sort of silly, needless mistakes in key areas. Is it a completely non-Ruby related problem? Um, I'm not sure about that. He almost feels like a product of the environment at this point. The team as a whole have been poor. Focus will also be on Borja Iglesias. He came in the summer to put chances away. That was why he arrived, but that hasn't been happening. Emerson, the right back, said after this weekend's game that he felt like Betis always needed more chances to score one goal compared to their opponents. What did you make of those comments? Yeah, and you know, he's right. It, it does feel like Betis have to work so much harder than other teams to create chances or really to make anything happen. And again, I think that comes back to the tactics or you know, lack thereof. You know, they brought in Borja Iglesias. He scored 17 goals in La Liga last season. They paid 28 million euros from Espanyol for one of the most expensive players in the club's history to only score three goals so far in his first 27 games. You know, just isn't good enough. Lastly, Andrew, how serious is the threat of relegation for Betis? They've got a new coaching staff as Alexis Trujillo's now in charge of the final eight rounds, but could Real Betis be sucked into the relegation battle? Judging by the remaining eight games in the schedule, it doesn't feel like they're in any real legitimate danger of having to fight against relegation. But that said, they've been so inconsistent all season that it's a really tough call to make. And of course, now that Ruby's moved on and Alex Trujillo's going to be taken over for the rest of the season, you would hope that they get that sort of new manager bounce that teams occasionally do. But it's so difficult to judge this team because of the inconsistencies and the lack of cohesion. Well, we'll see how that goes at Betis. As Andrew says, very inconsistent, but that just makes it all the more interesting for neutrals watching on. Now let's turn our attention to the title race and to what's been happening with Barcelona and Real Madrid. The situation coming into this weekend was that Barcelona had a two-point lead, but they could only manage a 0-0 draw with Sevilla on Friday night. Temporarily, that put them three points ahead, but Real Madrid's 2-1 win over Real Sociedad on Sunday night means they're both now level on 65 points, but Real Madrid hold the head-to-head tiebreaker and their leaders. Remember, it's not goal difference that separates teams level on points in La Liga, it's head-to-head record. Now, let's go in chronological order here and speak to Barcelona fan Roman de Arquer about Friday's game. It was 0-0 for Barcelona, but had they not had their Stegen, they could maybe even have lost. Are you surprised, Roman? Concerned? Disappointed? I'm definitely not surprised. I was kind of expecting it would be a tough game for Barcelona. And I am concerned and disappointed, I have to say. At least I thought we would manage to get a win out of that game, but no. Uh, Two points that have been lost and very important points because, um, you know, you can't, there's no margin of error, basically. You can't make mistakes at this stage in La Liga and it's going to be tough to win, but we have to keep fighting. There's still games to go. But overall, I mean, Barcelona should be capable of generating more in attack uh, against Leganes. We already saw that they struggled a bit with that closed-out defense and against Sevilla. Uh, despite people saying they had some of their best minutes in the first half with Kike Setien, I just think we're still far away from our best version and uh, Barca need to prove a lot more uh, if they want to win this La Liga title. What was it that Sevilla did to contain Messi? Because he had a very quiet game by his standards. 
Overall, Sevilla had a great defensive performance. I mean, they were really good and Messi was very disconnected, partly because of their, their defensive effort, of course. They they managed to keep him under control. They had players on him really often and they, he had to go down to the midfield if he wanted to start the place uh, from his boots. So uh, credit to Sevilla in that aspect. But at the same time, I did feel like Messi himself was very imprecise, far from his usual self. Um, when he managed to get maybe past one or two defenders, then he would make the wrong decision often. Like instead of maybe passing the ball, he would try and get past the third one. Or when he had to shoot, he would pass the ball. And I felt like Messi was losing quite a lot of balls at a certain stage of the game. So not a very good game from Messi. And partly due to him, partly due to Sevilla's good defense. Now, I want to get your thoughts on this. At the very end, Barcelona won a corner. And Ter Stegen went up for it. Did that surprise you considering... Barcelona still had a point in the bag and considering there are eight full matches to go. While I was sitting down and watching the game, I wasn't that surprised because I could feel the urgency and the need to get the three points and to score a goal. So just imagine the players, you know, um, they had to, to get the win because they knew that dropping points in the Sanchez-Pizjuan uh, would be very bad for them and complicate things so much. And now they depend on Real Madrid, so they can't win the league if they win all the games, if Madrid also win the games. So in that sense, I know and I understand why uh, Ter Stegen had to go up there and make the most of that last opportunity we had in that game. Just moments after Ter Stegen went up to that corner, Jared Piquet gave an interview and it was interesting. He said that based on what he'd seen from the most recent match days, he didn't expect Real Madrid to drop points. Across Spain, that's widely been understood that he was insinuating that Real Madrid had been helped out by refereeing decisions. Is that what you thought? What did you take away from those comments? I mean, we all know how Pique is. He's not afraid to speak his mind when he has to. And uh, after that game in front of the press, he just, you know, spat it out, saying that uh, those two games Real Madrid played uh, against Eibar and Valencia, there were very dubious calls from VAR that could have changed the outcome of the match. And the rest is up to you to interpret. But of course, we all understand that he's trying to say that uh, the referees or the league or whatever is going to try and favor Real Madrid. But at the same time, I wouldn't take that too much to heart. I think it's also partly trying to put a bit of pressure on the rest, put a bit of pressure on the competition to see if they can look more closely into those plays and, and maybe next time they won't favor Real Madrid. Well, two days after Piqué made those comments, we had one of the most VAR-heavy matches of the season. Real Madrid went away to Real Sociedad and won 2-1. The first goal came courtesy of a penalty awarded to Vinicius that was a little dubious Sergio Ramos stepped up and scored it for his 68th La Liga goal, a new record for a defender in the league. Then at the other end, Adnan Janazai thought he'd equalised, but offside was given because Miguel Marino was judged to have been in Thibaut Courtois' line of vision. So another iffy call. And then moments later, Karim Benzema scored a great goal, although there was a suspicion of handball as he controlled it. All three of these decisions went in Real Madrid's favour to make it 2-0 before a late Marino consolation goal. So if Piquet was trying to put pressure on the referees like Roman said, then it didn't really work. Personally, I do think all three calls were the right decision, but the fact that there was so much VAR and the fact that it all went in Real Madrid's favour has added extra fuel to the fire. Zidane got so fed up about all the refereeing controversy questions in his post-match press conference that he actually snapped a little and said he was getting annoyed by it and that he wanted to talk about the actual football. 
So let's listen to Zidane and do that. And who better to chat football with than Zach Lowey of Breaking the Lines? Welcome, Zach. And before we get on to that wild second half, let's discuss the very quiet first half between Real Sociedad and Real Madrid. Did these teams sort of cancel each other out? In general, I think that, you know, neither team played that well, um, especially Madrid. I mean, I feel like tactically, I mean, I think the only thing that they really had was just Vinicius, the ability to, you know, Vinicius, as, as frustrating as he is in front of goal, the ability that he has to just... Uh, zoom from midfield to the to the box it's just it's so valuable to a team and he was really the only player I thought uh, who was constantly allowing Real Madrid solutions uh, to progress through the the opposition Um, but no as you said I think that they did uh, balance that it was a very balanced game I totally agree with what you said about Vinicius he was my man in the match he gets back so much as well. How important was that and how helpful was his defensive work from Marcelo? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, that was one of the more underrated parts of his game uh, and probably one of the reasons why he was selected man of the match because he was constantly going back uh, to help defend the uh, the left flank. Such an important, uh, such an important trait for, for a player, especially for, for a coach such as Zidane, who uh, really places so much emphasis on defensive work rate uh, before the before the match, that was certainly one one uh, area of concern. I think for for Real Madrid, you know, is Marcelo going to be as uh, defensively sound as Ferland Mendy has been over the past over the past few months for Real Madrid? Um, and I think that one of the big reasons why. Marcelo didn't have too much um, work defensively was because of the constant uh, work rate and 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 stamina of Vinicius. You know, he just never gets tired. Once he once he imp- improves his finishing, obviously it's not a given. But if he can improve his finishing and and take his end product up a notch, uh, he's going to be one of the best forwards in football. So I think we both agree Vinicius as man of the match, but maybe close behind was Casemiro, who was great once again. He's now suspended for the game against Mallorca. How big a loss is that for Real Madrid in midweek? Yeah, I think Casemiro, alongside Sergio Ramos, probably is uh, is Real Madrid's most important player. Uh, you could also throw in Benzema, but the fact is there there really isn't a Casemiro replacement in the squad, and that's that's part of the reason why uh, it seems why Eduardo Camavinga is Real Madrid's number one transfer priority uh, this summer or will be uh, because they are in desperate need of a of a Casemiro backup, especially with Marco Sirente going to Atletico Madrid. Of course, now he's playing in a more attacking role in Atleti, but uh, you know the fact is they just don't really have a player capable of replacing him, of capable of replacing his. Uh, you know, not just his, his physicality and his defensive work rate, but, you know, as they say in, in Spain, his mala leche. Um, no, in, in general, uh, been one of the best midfielders in, in football this season. And it's just impossible to replace a player like him. Even when they sign, even if they sign Kamavinga this summer, uh, you know, Casemiro getting suspended or injured is still going to be such an issue for them because he's just such a valuable player.
We also feel that actually have the third worst record since the restart, only Mallorca and Osasuna have worst records. In terms of the best teams since the restart, Real Madrid are, along with Villarreal, the only two teams with 100% record since we resumed. We focused a lot on Villarreal in our last recap and they went and won again this weekend, another 1-0 away at Granada this time around. Well, that brings us to our quick break in this podcast. There's plenty more to discuss and we'll do that after this short pause. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to this recap of the 30th match day of the 2019-20 La Liga Santander season. We've discussed the title race and Ruby's sacking. Let's now focus in on the most shocking result of the weekend, Celta Vigo 6, Alaves 0. La pelota vuelve a caer a la derecha desde la frontal. Remata Murillo, qué golazo. Gol, 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 gol de Rafinha. Samba Brasileira en Balaídos. Gol de Rafinha. Jugada rapidísima del equipo de Oscar García por la segunda parte en Balaídos. Vanolito en la rentré con el conjunto Vigueza y Vanolito. Pequeña carrera en el sitio, pega Nolito, gol. Gol. Mira qué golazo. Gol del Celta. Santi Mina. Yes, Celta Vigo scored six goals on Sunday as they absolutely smashed Alaves. Where did that come from? I think we were all wondering. Those six goals are 18% of all the goals that Celta Vigo have scored across the entire season. They just went for it. We explained in our last episode about how Celta Vigo were able to sign Nolito and he came off the bench to score a penalty but they really didn't need him for this one. They had it under control and were actually really fun to watch. Also proven fun to watch are Levante. Since the return they've had two late comeback 1-1 draws and then they went away to Espanyol and produced a 3-1 win there. They really do have some underrated players on that squad at Levante and they're entertaining themselves and their fans during this final stage of the season. Moving on now, let's talk about a couple of the Madrid teams who both played on Saturday evening. On Saturday, we had the Taffy versus Ibar, and then Atletico Madrid versus Real Valladolid shortly afterwards. Let's bring in Sam Leverage, one of our Madrid-based contributors now. Sam, this sounds like one of the crazy double-headers that you would normally have tried to fit both in. How was it watching on from TV? Yeah, definitely. It would have been perfect for tourists and for the people who want to go and tick off as many grounds as they can, especially, I mean, half an hour between the final whistle and the the kickoff at the Wanda Metropolitano. Just about enough time to get between Getafe and, and the Wanda Metropolitano in a car. So it would have been perfect, really. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you love to do when you're in Madrid and 
watching football, basically. It was very strange to watch it in TV. I mean, we're used to seeing the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez not packed out, or maybe with not so much atmosphere. Obviously, that's improved in the last few years, but it wasn't such a strange sight. But then for me, I mean, I'm an Atletico season ticket holder, so to watch the Atletico Madrid match, and for the first five minutes, I watched it with the virtual fan sounds, and I had to turn it off because you're watching the match, the match that you'd love to be there watching with, with your friends, having a beer, watching the game. And then you're watching it and you can hear the fan sounds and it's almost like makes you think that this is a usual game. It's a normal game. And you're just thinking, why am I not there taking it in as well? Why am I not enjoying this match fully? And then I just couldn't watch it like that anymore. I had to turn off the fan sounds and just listen to the silence to, to make it really feel in my head like this wasn't usual football. This wasn't normal. This is the new normal where we have to watch football like this to, to get my head around it. Let's start with Vitafe. They drew 1-1 with Eibar, going ahead, but then being pegged back and even almost losing it when Eibar thought they'd gone 2-1 up only for that goal to be ruled out for offside. So for Vitafe, it's three matches back and no wins, even with three quite winnable games. Why have they been so poor after the break? Because they've been surprisingly disappointing. Look at their front line, Jaime Mata, Jorge Molina and Rodriguez, they're all over 30 and that's kind of the same across their squad other than a few younger players and that's going to have its impact on the legs. I mean, three months out with very limited training kind of in their players' own homes with the gyms and equipment they've got there. So it's going to be very difficult for Tafe, and it's perhaps not surprising they're taking a little while to get back up to speed. But Bordelas touched on it in his press conference and he said that they've, in the 27 games at the start of the season, they were never beaten for aerial duels. And in the last three, they've been beaten for all of them. So it's something that's clearly impacting Hatafe and they're going to have to put the work in to get up to speed as quickly as they can before they really fall off the pace in the race for Europe. Moving on to Atleti, they defeated Real Valladolid 1-0, only doing so with a late Vitolo header that only just crossed the line. It was a much changed Atleti that got the win because Simeone made seven changes to the lineup. Sam, were you surprised that he made so many rotations considering they just won 5-0 in the previous game? Yes and no. I think we're expecting changes from Diego Simeone, even though he tends not to make too many. But seven was more than I think anybody expected. I mean, seeing the likes of Manu Sanchez come in, the the young left-back was a bit of a surprise, and seeing so many in the midfield. I mean, Coke and Saul were both on the bench, and they haven't both been left out of a starting lineup since February of last year. So it's something that doesn't happen too often. I think it was a little bit political almost, in that Diego Simeone spent quite a lot of time recently talking about how small his squad is. I think that was kind of his point scoring, saying, look, with all of my team available, we can win 5-0 against us sooner, we can produce brilliant performances. But I don't have the reserves to be able to do that every three days. And so I think there was kind of that point proving. But then again, I think Simeone doesn't have much of a choice. Again, kind of like Hatafe, I mean, the likes of Diego Costa there, getting a bit older in attack he can't play every three days and that'll be the same for a few other players in the squad as well Koke and Saul they're used to playing a lot of games in a row but to do that every three days is a real challenge even for them Atletico were the better side in this match but only just they really had to grind that one out didn't they yeah, I think a lot of people would look at the 1-0 scoreline and say it was the traditional Atletico Madrid of Diego Simeone defending well and grinding out a 1-0 win with a chance on the counter. 
but I'm not sure I'd agree with that entirely. I mean, it was quite an open game, much more open than I certainly expected it to be. Real Valladolid were very offensive and had a few chances. Then Atletico Madrid had plenty of chances for their own. There was no real clear-cut chances for either team, but both of them certainly could have scored earlier. Jan Oblak was tested and, and Gado in goal for Valladolid as well. So it wasn't quite as clear-cut traditional Madrid style as some might say. But then, yeah, very Atletico Madrid in the sense of defending and getting the job done and then in attack not being exactly prolific, but Vitolo's header, I mean, literally millimetres to separate the draw and the goal. And I think that might be what makes the difference with these teams in the race for the top four. I think Atletico Madrid, they've struggled to do it a little bit this season, but I think they are capable of grinding out those wins and the finest margins they can do it and I think that might be what helps to see them above kind of the likes of Hitafe, Real Sociedad, maybe even Sevilla in terms of getting into third. So Sevilla and Atletico Madrid occupy the final two Champions League places in third and fourth at the end of the 30th match day with Hitafe and Real Sociedad both slipping down a little. Villarreal have even caught up with Hitafe and Real Sociedad thanks to their good run and Valencia kept up the pace as they won 2-0 at home to Osasuna on Sunday. Gonzalo Guedes scored one of the solo goals of the season to get Valencia going. This after yet another Rodrigo Moreno goal was ruled out for a marginal offside. On Friday, Valencia released a report or a statement outlining 13 occasions where they feel they've been hard done by with far this season. But they were in better spirits on Sunday. Well, at least Rodrigo was. After missing out on another goal due to VAR, he was asked on social media if VAR actually stands for Vamos Anularselo a Rodrigo, which would be let's rule out Rodrigo's goals if you put it into English. Fortunately for him, he did score a goal that did count, getting Valencia's second of the day in that 2-0 win over Osasuna. But they have a set piece now, which is too far out for a shot even for Oscar Rodriguez, I would think. Well, maybe not. He's trying it. Oh, 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 what a goal. Oh, what a goal. Oscar Rodriguez, incredible strike. And he has kept Leganes' survival hopes alive with a sensational free kick. There were many great goals this weekend, but the one I've watched on replay the most is, without a doubt, Oscar Rodriguez's free kick for Leganes. Leganes took on Mallorca away this weekend in a relegation battle. It was a duel between two sides currently in the bottom three and looking to escape. For a while it looked like Salva Sevilla's under the wall free kick would give Real Mallorca the three points but then up stepped Oscar for his fourth free kick goal of the season. In Europe's top five leagues that's the joint most alongside some guy called Messi. Not bad company to be in when we're talking about free kicks. Our man in Mallorca is Alex Fitzpatrick and he was all over this one. Alex I know it's a cliche but this 1-1 result between Mallorca and Leganes is one that suits neither of these sides really. I noticed that once the full-time whistle went, the players from both sides collapsed onto the floor looking a bit deflated. It certainly is a result that doesn't suit either team at all. Really a point for each at this stage of the season. You're obviously looking to add all three points, particularly when you come up against rivals who, and particularly in Mallorca's case, rivals at home, who you think... You should be beating. You know, these are the games where the points are on offer. And it was an opportunity really for either side, had they won, to really boost themselves up the table and put pressure on the sides above them. Two free kicks for the two goals, but one of them was clearly a bit better than the other. 
Two contrasting free kicks, the wily old fox Salva Sevilla. Obviously, Mallorca and Salva Sevilla had done their homework, knowing that the Leganes wall jumps. Um, they'd done that homework and he executed the plan to perfection, sliding a low free kick underneath the wall, catching the goalkeeper unawares and, and beating him on the near post. And um, the contrast with Oscar Rodriguez, I mean, audacious, unbelievable. You know, what superlatives can we use to describe this free kick? If someone's going to equalise in, in late in the game in a big six-pointer, I mean, at least make them do it like that. At least make them work for it. And Oscar Rodriguez, wow, what a piece of skill. We've seen this guy do this. There's highlights reels going and doing the rounds on Twitter of his audacious free kicks from outside of the box to hit the ball with that much power and dip from that position was really incredible. I think if I was going to be super critical, I'd say, you know, you know he's shooting from that position. You know what he can do. You need more than a one-man wall, even from that distance. But take nothing away from him. To execute that skill was unbelievable. Leganes really seemed to grow into the game, didn't they? Why was that? What changed as the game went on? Leganes grew into the game, but I think actually... After the goal from Mallorca, after the early goal from Mallorca, whether it was that Mallorca kind of sat back and were happy trying to protect that lead, remember they've kept very few clean sheets this season, or whether Leganes just got on the front foot and started to dominate. Um, Mallorca became passive. They allowed Leganes possession. We've spoken before about how Mallorca, they're not a pressing side. They sit off. They allowed Leganes possession. They allowed them to dictate play, which Leganes duly did, and they did very well. They created danger and chances, and, and where they weren't creating, they certainly have uh, had possession. Thanks, Alex, and thanks to all the other contributors to this episode too. To Andrew Miller, to Zach Lowey, to Roman de Arquer, and to Sam Leverage. I've been your host, Jimmy Tier, and this has been your latest Match Day recap. The games are coming thick and fast so we'll have another episode out later in the week for you to cover everything that happens in this midweek round. Until then, check us out on Twitter and on the LaLigaLowdown.com website, and thanks so much for listening today.